This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, November 28th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I've never seen the show format look like this. I've never seen the eye Josh look like this. It looks like I've got a little Christmas tree in my hand. The most jam-packed that we've ever had a show. How do we get it in in under two hours, you ask? Well, I've got to make a five-hour drive tonight, so we have no choice but to get an in in under two hours. But I promise you this. We will not do a 30-minute show tonight dot, 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 because we will do one closer to an hour. Now, you see how I did that? Because that's how Lincoln Riley taught me to phrase what my future intentions are. I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do, but I'm going to leave it very open-ended as to what I am going to do. Lincoln Riley is going to be the next head coach at USC. I have no clue, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Obviously, Billy Napier is headed to Florida. That's obvious if you've been paying attention today. If you haven't been paying attention, then I guess we just broke the news for you, but we're going to talk about that a whole lot too. Michigan is headed to, well, the Big Ten Championship game. I was at the game yesterday, somehow got back through a snowstorm. Well, to me, a snowstorm. And I've got a lot of takeaways, including some things that you haven't seen yet. The playoff picture has just been hurled into abject chaos. We were treated to a Saturday, a rivalry Saturday, that for that matter, for the ages. So that one goes in the history books. And now we're headed into conference championship week. And it's all right here in front of us. And we got to talk about it tonight. So I first want to tell you this. Our show has gone more places because of you than you could ever know. I tell you this all the time. And I know sometimes it's vague. I'm just telling you, when we go to these games, the more and more people we meet that have more and more positive things to say about the show. And it's because of you. So just thank you. I know already traffic's going to be great this week. I don't have to even doubt it. Just so thank you in advance. Thanksgiving week season, it's still in play for us. Uh, at Late Kick Josh, I can't stress enough, especially this time of year, you got to make sure you're following on the social channels because as you saw today, there's a lot that happens and sometimes we get our hands on some information. And if I'm 48 hours away from the next show, that may be where we drop it. At Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following on Twitter. Make sure you're following on Instagram. If you're following on Instagram and you look at that story, that Instagram story, I think it was the best we've ever had yesterday. I mean, the access that I got at the Ohio State-Michigan game, the behind the scenes, the peel the curtain back aspect that I was able to give you guys at that game yesterday, well, to the tune of about 4 million views, if you count the tunnel video, which got used by every major outlet, including the Daily Mail. Late Kick made the Daily Mail. How about that? Um, it all started and originated from me and the iJosh and just uh, having access that we're afforded because we go to these games. So thank you so much for that. Renaissance Tour had a great trip to Ann Arbor, and we're going to discuss in a second. But now it's conference championship week, and Director Colin, you know what that means. we got to let the people know where we're headed Saturday. I don't think this is a great mystery. We're headed to Atlanta, Georgia. Another neutral site game. That's the first time we saw Georgia this year was in a neutral site. Now we'll see them again at a neutral site. It's Alabama. It's Georgia. It's the SEC championship game. If you're from where I'm from, this is as big as it gets. I've seen these two play many times. The last time Bama was an underdog. Get used to it. You'll hear this stat all week. Not that it really means anything. Was against Georgia in 2015. Now, here's how that sentence is going to be finished by a lot of people trying to uh, kind of reverse psychologically engineer an upset Saturday. They're going to say, and Bama won that game 38-10. Okay, uh, the relevance begins and ends when the period is put on that sentence. Has nothing to do with Saturday. Bama opens, for the record, as a six-and-a-half-point dog. Do you have any idea how hard it is to be a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Alabama? I don't care which year. It's hard. Georgia's good. So we're going to obviously break that game down Tuesday night. We'll be there Saturday. But we've got a whole lot to talk about that has happened up to and including this very afternoon, yesterday. What a weekend. I mean, if you, like I said, like I said Thursday, if you needed a weekend to package up and sell to one of your friends or family members, maybe you've got a wife out there that you'd love to watch the games with, Half my audience would advise against that. But if you got someone you were trying to bring to the table, this was the weekend to do it. 
And then Saturday just kind of verified all that. So we're going to talk about rivalry week. Hang tight on that. We got huge news in the coaching world today. Lincoln Riley, according to multiple reports now, headed to USC. It's three letters, but it's not LSU. USC. This was a stunner. I don't know anyone who saw this coming. And if someone tells you they did, you need to be very leery of those folks. As I said earlier today on Twitter, uh, there are a few national types who are truly plugged in in the coaching world. It's because A, they know all the coaches, and B, they know all the agents. It's not difficult, and they know the athletic directors. And they also know when they're being played and when they're not, okay? And that's a very important formula because there are a lot of folks out there that check one or two of those boxes, very few of them check all of them. Bruce Feldman is a guy with The Athletic that checks all of them. And Bruce Feldman last week, as the Lincoln Riley to LSU uh, flicker turned into a flame, turned into a bonfire, he came out and he said, that's not going to happen. And he was criticized. He was chastised because, I guess, because the guy who has a history of credibility buildup, I guess because he said something that certain people didn't like, he was dismissed and, and he was the one who was labeled the fool and he was the one who had that brand stamped on his forehead, you're being played. Well, uh, no, he was trying to save you. He was trying to save you the pain today. Anyway, uh, Bruce Feldman, amongst others, has now reported that Lincoln Riley is leaving Oklahoma, but he's headed to USC. Now, here's where I want to dive in because everyone could talk about how stunned they are. Oh, I'm stunned. Believe me, I'm stunned. Here's what I want to point out. So I'm holding a piece of paper because as I was preparing for the show tonight, Jesse was reading something from the aforementioned Bruce Feldman. It's like a Bruce infomercial right now. And he was reading an article uh, that, is, that is in all likelihood quoting Lincoln Riley himself, at the very least quoting people close to Riley. And Bruce Feldman was talking about what appealed to Lincoln Riley about the USC job. Now I want you to listen to this. He said the appeal of LA was there. You've heard that before. Most people who take the USC job or who are interested, they like the appeal of L.A. It continues, though. He loved the local recruiting talent. Okay, stands to reason anyone who took that job would. He was attracted to the idea of rebuilding a premier brand. Admirable. But here's the one that really stood out to me. According to Bruce Feldman and the folks over at The Athletic, what appealed to Lincoln Riley about the USC job was the alignment of the administration. Never thought I'd hear that. And if that's the case, then I was dead wrong about the process that was ongoing at USC. Because the word around the water cooler had been, oh, we got actual Los Angeles B-roll. That's nice, Jesse and Colin. The word around the water cooler had been that USC didn't have its collective affairs in order, and there was a razor-sharp focus at places like LSU. And when Florida came open, for the record, Florida did have a razor-sharp focus, but the status of the USC coaching search paled in comparison to the organizational structure that existed in other parts of the country. Well, if you listen to folks like Bruce Feldman, who are very dialed in, say things like Lincoln Riley was very impressed with the alignment of the administration, that's a big deal. Please don't let that get lost in the shuffle, because if that is, and we have no reason to believe it's not, if that is the state of affairs at USC, number one, it's a change from the norm. Uh, number two, it means everything that you would want to accomplish is going to be there, because see, first hurdle has been getting the right coach in there. Second hurdle, it, you would argue bigger than the first, would have been getting that coach everything he's going to need to succeed. Well, if you've got that fabled alignment of the administration, Maybe it's not going to be as big a hurdle as we thought. So the huge story here, you think, for the Pac-12 is, hmm, Lincoln Riley to USC. No, that's not the big story for the Pac-12. So I want to be very clear about this. A lot of people are painting this as the big story for the Pac-12, Lincoln Riley to USC. That's the big story for USC fans. Outside of that, Washington's not really affected by that one way or the other. The big story for the Pac-12 is a five-star candidate out there with options coast-to-coast chose you over the SEC. I don't care if it's been recruiting. I don't care if it's been the coaching carousel. That hasn't been a popular headline. That has been a headline that has been totally missing in action. It was the case a generation ago that there were places on the West Coast, namely USC, that were more admirable as destinations than places in the South. That hasn't been the case recently. And up until this morning, for a candidate that had his choice of USC or LSU or Florida, you can fill in the blank there, uh, or Oklahoma. You know, I can insert Oklahoma here. There are a lot of folks out there, I'm not so sure I wouldn't include myself in this group, that thinks all things considered right now, Oklahoma would be a better job than USC. However, 
The reason I have said that is because I didn't perceive USC to have, in the words of Bruce Feldman, an alignment administratively behind the scenes. Well, if they have that, well, yeah, USC rockets up that tier, that, that ladder, if you will. It rockets up rung after rung after rung of being one of the most desirable jobs in the country. Here's the next order of business. Who's coming with Lincoln Riley? I'm not talking about his staff, although I'm interested in that too. This is going to be the first case study in the immersion of the coaching carousel into the transfer portal era because we haven't really had a case study of a candidate this high profile leaving a job this high profile to go to another one and then seeing what his roster does. There is a widely held notion out there that I believe that several high profile names from the Oklahoma roster, you're thinking the Caleb Williams, for example, of the world, will leave Oklahoma if given the opportunity, which they will be given, to go to USC. Uh, which, number one, makes you think, how good immediately can USC be? Number two, what status does it leave Oklahoma in? And then the third headline that kind of falls off the USC radar, but it's on the national radar, is where's Oklahoma going? I mean, that's the big story here. Whether Riley went to LSU or, or as it turns out, he goes to USC, the big story here, outside of the obvious, is uh, the Oklahoma job's open. Like, this is about to be an SEC Western Division program with immense resources in and of itself, and it's open now. So you can take the chicken little approach of saying, oh man, in the immediacy, we're going to lose these players. Or you can realize, all right, we lost a big time candidate. It's a gut punch for us. But man, shouldn't this job be coveted? Answer, yes, it should be. So then the follow-up is, well, where are we going to look? And I've got to believe that there's been at least some groundwork done here because the Lincoln Riley rumors have been there. What I am very curious to find out, and I don't know if we ever will, but I'm very curious to find out how many other candidates were involved in the USC search and how big of a shock is this to them. I know Matt Campbell's name has been tied to that job. And Matt Campbell looked for all the world like he was checking out yesterday at Iowa State. He was very emotional. I'm not telling you firsthand, I know this, I'm telling you if you were to watch him and you were to know all the external factors that are happening in the coaching world, you would think that's a guy who knows this was his last job in Ames, or last game as having the head job in Ames. And you've had Dave Aranda, and Dave Aranda recently reportedly re-ups with Baylor. So I'm very curious. You're going to be told Lincoln Riley was the first and only choice. I get how that works. I'm be very interested. If we can find out, I'll do some digging. If we can find out how many other guys were in play and how big of a surprise was this to them, because there are a lot of ripple effect. There's a lot of ripple effect that happens behind the scenes always, but there's a lot that happens in the coaching market. And you never know how the LSU search or you know, subsequent searches that are going to happen, how they're impacted by how big a surprise one hire is. It's just, it's crazy. And that's not even getting down to the coordinator level and then the assistant position coach level. It's, it's a wild, wild scene right now. But I will tell you this, this is so surprising in a good way for USC. Selfishly, I'm excited because it may, in fact, give me a reason to go to a USC game soon, which I haven't had. Trust me, I've looked for one. Uh, the other thing, two, okay, so Jesse just came in my ear for the first time in the show. Lincoln Riley to USC is official. Hold on. I want to put my finger to my ear. Okay, Lincoln Riley releases a statement. Continue, Jesse. Go ahead. He sent it to my email. Jesse, I can't read an email on air. Or can I? No, I'm not going to do it. Should I? No. Maybe, no, I'm not going to. So Lincoln Riley to USC is official. Uh, the other thing that I was going to say there is when you get down to the assistant coaching level, this is chaos. I was talking to two of them today. This is chaos. You always assume that if you've got, if you've got um, let's say, a defensive line coach or an offensive coordinator on your speed dial from a staff, they just know everything that's going on. They didn't. They didn't. And another thing, and I'm going to dig into this a little bit later, be very careful. I think some of us learned, some of you guys learned, we never ran with anything here. Some of you learned a hard lesson, and I'm going to talk about it later. You get played during two seasons. They kind of converge, recruiting and coaching searches. You get played. It's the only time of year that people have incentive to lie to you who would otherwise be your best friends. And some people got played out there. And so let's just, let's learn that lesson, and then let's learn to, learn to say, I don't know. That's what we said during the Lincoln-Riley LSU rumor season. We didn't know. Well, now we do know because they've made it official. Uh, Lincoln-Riley goes to USC. 
I got so much more to dive into because now we have to talk about LSU. Obviously, I'm going to give you the very latest. I mean, listen to how crisp that paper is. The very latest on LSU. Billy Napier has gone to Florida. We've got full rapid reaction on Rivalry Saturday, so obviously we're just getting started. Hey, I got a text from our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors today. They're sending us new gift cards. I just want to lead. I don't want to bury the lead. I want to lead with the meat right there. There's the sauce. We're getting more free stuff from Academy. Now, having said that, I cannot give you a gift card for the entirety of your Christmas wish list or your shopping list this season. However, what I can do is give you the place to go to get everything taken care of on that Christmas wish list, gift list. I don't really know what you call it because I just kind of impulsively do it all at once. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Okay, if you don't have a bunch of sports fans in your life, they should be. And if you do have a bunch of sports fans in your life, then inevitably, whether they know it or not, everything they want is available at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Here's the true gift that I bring to you every week, multiple times a week. You do not have to get up out of your chair, nor do you have to have an academy in your backyard to make this happen. Academy.com, academy.com. They didn't tell me to say it a third time, but I will anyway. Academy.com. Think about having at your very fingertips the ability to take care of all your shopping for the holiday season and also help the show out because that's what Academy.com does for you. Now, if you want to see the friendly, fine faces of the folks at Academy Sports and Outdoors, by all means, drive 15 minutes or 15 hours if you need to and go in store. But Academy.com, I can speak from personal experience, has been the hookup because even though maybe a less ethical person would, I have not been using our own gift cards. I have spent the cold, hard-earned cash that we get from uh, Viacom CBS on such things as new hoodies. And also, hey, the grilling equipment, underrated. Academy Sports and Outdoors grilling equipment, very underrated. They help the show out, real talk. They make literally everything you see here possible and everything you're seeing for free possible. And uh, boy, if you look around the rest of our industry, I'm not naming names. I'm not talking about the independent space. There are some big names out there that are having to charge more and more for their work because they don't have partnerships and they don't have staffing like ours, but they don't have partnerships like Academy. When you have one, you got to shake their hand as often as possible. And I'm talking about me and I'm talking about our audience and you guys do. So if anything, this is affirmation and a shake of my hand to your hand for keeping the show free and patronizing our one partner in the process. Academy Sports and Outdoors, thank you so much. Boy, let's move on. I had a day for the ages yesterday. If you were at Michigan Stadium yesterday, you had a day for the ages. If you watched on TV from Seattle, Washington, you had a day for the ages. Michigan 42, Ohio State 27. It's funny how this game works, and it's funny how sometimes we talk about padlock stats on this show a lot, but sometimes you just think you see padlock moments. Now, when we say padlock stats, obviously we're talking about a number that if you would have known it Friday about the box score, you would have already known the outcome to the game. Well, padlock moments kind of work the same way. Here's how a padlock moment works, but some of them are fake. So here's how a fake padlock moment works. If I were to have shown you a moment in time, and that moment in time is it's early in this game and Michigan's driving, and I think they're up 7-0, but they throw a pick on the goal line. Looks like they're about to take a 14-0 lead. Instead, they throw a pick, and Ohio State takes it the other way, and it feels like the momentum turns early. If I were to just show you that and cut the game off, what would you think? You'd think that, oh, three and a half quarters later, the likely talking point is, boy, Michigan started fast, but once that turnover happened, the snowball got kicked down the hill, and it was all Buckeyes. That's why it's a fake padlock moment, because that's not the way it worked out. In reality, you want to know what the padlock moment was? The padlock moment was Cam Brown early in the second half, ripping that helmet off of Roman Wilson and the subsequent reaction from Michigan. You see, Cam Brown rips the helmet off Roman Wilson. That's not what made the moment, man, because this kind of stuff could happen. What made the moment is Ohio State did not get the reaction they expected. In years past, Ohio State had rightfully come to expect Michigan to tuck tail, and they're looking at the backs of maize and blue jerseys. That's not what happened this time. They were looking at chests of Michigan offensive linemen because that's the attitude that team's played with all year. That's the attitude they played with yesterday, and I'm telling you, standing 20 yards from it, you could feel it. You could feel it on the sideline. You could see it in those players' emotions and reactions. Boy, you could feel it in the crowd. That's not where that started, though. Where it started was really the first half 
when Michigan started to learn that that game plan that Jim Harbaugh has told us we're going to execute on this team here from Columbus, Ohio, we're doing it. We're starting to own the line of scrimmage. We're moving the ball. If anything, we've stopped ourselves. I guarantee you that's what they're feeling going into halftime. But then a funny thing happens. A little story time. And Colin, get that tunnel video ready because it's almost time to roll it. So yours truly has never been to the big house before. So I walk in there and I scope it out and I learn what a lot of you have long since known. There's only one tunnel in the whole building. It's kind of like the Cotton Bowl. Some of the old buildings are like that. Well, here's what that means. What that means is if you only got one tunnel, that means that you've got to share a tunnel for both teams. Yeah, it's happened. I mean, they've played many a game in this stadium, right? Just in case when we have that kind of architectural anomaly, I normally go up the tunnel about a minute early before the half. So there I am, I walk up the tunnel, and here comes Ohio State off the field and Michigan is following. So I say, what's the worst that could happen? I waste a sixteenth of a battery on the iJosh, so I pull this bad boy out and I start recording. Colin, let's show the people, if they haven't already seen, this thing's got like four million views, went all over the world yesterday. Here's what we actually saw happening in the tunnel. Now, I want you to remember, Ohio State has just kicked a field goal. So it's getting close to half, and then it's halftime, and Ohio State's kicked a field goal. I want to say it's a one-possession game at this point. And so I'm up the tunnel, and there are a lot of people up there. It's very crowded. Let me know if we have that video. And so here comes Ohio State. We're going to play some Nat sound on this. Normally, we don't do this. We just play it uh, VO only. And you've already seen this if you've watched a lot of the broadcast. If you haven't, here's what's happening. Colin very, very classily blurred out some things that you don't need to see if the kiddos are watching at home. No, we're not, we're not just uh, blurring out helmets there. And so this stuff's happening out of the purview of even the Fox cameras. I gave them permission to use it, but we didn't have a Fox camera up here. So it's just the iJosh and uh, you know a bunch of officials. Here's the best part. You got equipment guys getting into it. You've got officials blowing whistles. I was waiting for a flag to be thrown, even though we're in commercial break and it's at halftime. So this is all happening. And if you're in the stadium, you're unaware. And if you're watching at home, you're unaware. This is why we try and get the angle we do when we go to games, because this is the kind of access that we get that normally you're not gonna get when you're watching on TV. So that's why we try and position ourselves where we do, when we do, when we go to games. So this is what you didn't get to see, okay? So then, and that's good, Colin, I appreciate it. So then we come back, and the broadcast is back on. It's the third quarter. With that in mind, then I want you to contextualize what you saw happen with that helmet being ripped off after knowing that's already happened up the tunnel, and then think about what it meant to that Michigan sideline. Because when you saw him score on three consecutive possessions coming out of the half, that's what had precipitated all that, or at very least, that's what had led up to all that. The scene was pretty surreal. So then... This game turns into a clinic on the freeze point. The freeze point we talked about when we broke this game down all last week. Remember what the freeze point was? The freeze point was essentially the answer to the question we thought you would find yourself asking in the latter portion of this game when we thought it would be a dogfight. And that question was going to be, in all likelihood, wait a second, how can this Ohio State team that led 49 to nothing over Michigan State, a team that beat this Michigan team for that matter, how can this team that led 49-0 just seven days ago all of a sudden be in a fight for their lives? How could this offense seemingly grind to a halt? Well, it didn't grind to a halt. It was limited. But Michigan scored. Michigan had offensive success of their own, firstly. Secondly, the gap in this sport is almost never as wide as a scoreboard can sometimes indicate that it is. This is not baseball. They score in threes and sevens in this game, which means theoretically one play can create a 14-point gap between teams. Or to put a finer point on it and to put it in proper context for this comparison, one of your corner's inability or one of your defensive end's inability to set the edge or to run respectively with a wide receiver could be the difference on any one given play of 14 points. My point is, if you just change one of those little things, if you just change the concept of getting pressure on a quarterback, 49 to nothing becomes you trailing at the half. That's the freeze point. But if you don't meet it, you don't have a prayer. But Michigan did meet the freeze point yesterday. In fact, they far exceeded the freeze point. We were wondering last week, metaphorically, where were they at? Were they right around freezing? Were they 30 degrees? Were they 25 degrees? Well, they were plenty low enough. I don't know the exact number. They were plenty low enough yesterday. That's the freeze point. 
And that's why you can't let these results week to week fool you into thinking some team's invincible or, you know, some team can't get up from the dead to save their lives. Um, there were two things that stood out to me in addition that I just wanted to comment on right quick. I grew up in the South, obvi, and I know a lot of people have always talked about Big Ten weather. They've talked about football weather in the late fall, early winter portion of the season in the Big Ten. Uh, they're right. They're, they, they're right. Folks who talk about Big Ten weather, they're right about it. I don't know how people function. I don't know how C.J. Stroud functioned yesterday. I just don't get it. I mean, I'm, I'm so in awe of uh, the ability for a kid of any age or a pro player of any age at a position like quarterback to go into a place where it's in the upper 20s and at some portions of this game we had nice driving snow. I'm sure it looked really good on TV. Uh, it was not coming down straight either. It was coming down sideways, which means depending on the direction you're going, it's right in your face. It was a very, very surreal scene, but it also made me think. And, and I had a couple of people in my ear also kind of um, conveying the same message. Hey, when we talk about Southern teams not ever coming to play in this, this is what we mean. Like, do you really think that a team that's used to 65 degrees just seamlessly goes up and down the field in this? Well, my answer used to be, yeah. My answer now is, uh, I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, but I also think that weather affected the outcome of this game. Now, of course, the old um, time-tested retort to that is they both had to play in the same weather. That's true. That's just like saying, hey, COVID disproportionately impacted Penn State relative to New Mexico last year. Well, they both had to deal with COVID. Yeah, that doesn't mean COVID didn't disproportionately affect one team over the other. Weather can disproportionately affect one team over the other, too. Ohio State wasn't as ready for it as Michigan was. Ohio State wasn't as built to deal with it as Michigan was. It's not an excuse. That's actually a credit to one coaching staff and a question mark for another coaching staff that, that I'm sure they're already asking themselves. Second thing is I think people have been wrong about the big house. Now, I'm telling you, I'd never been there before. So I had only heard the stereotype about Michigan Stadium. And the stereotype had been partly due to architecture and partly due to the nature of the crowd. It wasn't a hostile environment. It wasn't intimidating. And of course, when I talk about architecture, I'm talking about the bowl design where more noise is released than is captured by the, you know, the double-decker stadiums, the tiered stadiums. I don't know about the reputation of the big house because this is the first time I've been there and obviously I picked the right one. But my friends, I can tell you definitively that Michigan Stadium impacted this game yesterday and the crowd impacted this game yesterday. I can't remember how many false starts Ohio State had, but even if you get past false starts, there were botched snaps. There were all kinds of different procedural issues for Ohio State. And it's not like they were unaware of what they were going into. I mean, that's a testament to a crowd and an environment. That's home field advantage. And so you can talk all you want to about the cheese and wine crowd there and how they don't make that place intimidating. That place had teeth yesterday. And that's all I can go on because that's the only time I've been there. But this was the way a turnaround had to happen. I mean, this is an incredible story. If you really think about where Jim Harbaugh was and where this program was just one short year ago, we got to this time of year and they had already canceled this game. And we were talking about Jim Harbaugh, was he going to be out? Was he just going to move on to an NFL job? And they end up, you know, offering and he accepts the reduced salary. But you know, you got to have a turnaround. Well, everyone out there had an opinion to offer Jim Harbaugh about how he should execute a turnaround. And he stayed true to himself and he stayed true to the principles he believes in. I didn't think it would work. I mean, I'll be totally real with you. I never would have envisioned this. I don't think Michigan fans would have envisioned this. But his response, as everyone was in both ears telling him what he should do, his response was to stay the course, essentially. And it's the way a turnaround has to happen. That doesn't mean everyone who adheres to their principles and values is going to succeed. Because some people just aren't good enough. I mean, that's, that's the jungle. But if you don't stick to your core beliefs and principles, even if you do temporarily succeed, it's going to be short term because you can't fake it at this level for very, very long. But Jim Harbaugh didn't. That's what is so sustainable about what they're doing right now and what you can take comfort in knowing if you're a Michigan fan. There's nothing popcornish or microwavish about this. There's no gimmick about it. That team yesterday, this team, for that matter, you've seen all year, that's a Jim Harbaugh Michigan team. That's the way he's always wanted it to look. They've just made it happen this year. Supreme credit to Michigan. Uh, this was a great experience, great environment, but it was a great win, 
And now they got to get themselves up to go to the Big Ten championship game. That's right, Michigan to the Big Ten championship game against Iowa. And the Wolverines open as a 10 and a half point favorite. That game is set for Saturday. It's a late game. It's 8 Eastern kickoff. It's in Indianapolis. I, I am told that weather will not be an issue in the uh, Steve Wiltfong Dome there in Indianapolis. That name is pending, and it's got my endorsement. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, let's move on. I mean, we've got, we've got another major coaching search. Result? It's not a coaching search anymore. Billy Napier to Florida. It's official. I am a fan of this move because, as you know, I've been a fan of Billy Napier. I'm also a fan of how Florida executed this. They were very deliberate, and I don't know if it's just because they kept things bottled up or because they already knew the score of the game before they ever entered the game. But this thing went very quickly. They got rid of Mullen. They had their ducks in a row, and they go after Napier. I have belief uh, because of several conversations. This has been done for a few days. And so now the way this is going to go is Billy Napier and Louisiana, as they've been like every year he's been there, they are in the Sun Belt Conference Championship game. I believe it's this Saturday. A press conference is scheduled the following day. So a week from today, there will be an introductory press conference where Billy Napier will be introduced as the head coach at Florida. Now, a lot of people are already giving you their takeaways on this, which I'm not fully prepared to do, only because rule number one, when you're pulling a guy up from the G5 level to the Power 5 level, especially a program like Florida, you got to wait and see what the staff looks like. Billy Napier has got to hire a staff. And you will have incomplete data until you know what his staff looks like. So that's rule number one. Having said that, when head coaches come from the G5 level, I always laugh at the flawed logic that is applied here. Here's what it sounds like. Maybe you've heard this already. Hopefully you haven't participated in it, but maybe you have. It, I call it the Chris Peterson effect. A lot of people are already applying the Chris Peterson effect to Billy Napier. It sounds a little something like this. I don't know if he's going to make it at Florida. I mean, that guy's never recruited a four or five star athlete. How's he going to do it at Florida? That guy's never even made the playoff. How's he going to do it at Florida? That is not the game we're talking about here. The same folks who would never take their Prius and enter it into the Daytona 500, knowing full well it would be unfair to compare a Prius to, you know, what you see on a NASCAR track, would look at a guy from the G5 level and say, he's never done what it takes to win at Florida at his previous stop. Why should I expect them to do it here? Well, here's why. Because that's not how you judge or you measure the temperature of a coach's capability. You don't ask, what has he done relative to resources he hasn't had? You ask, what has he done relative to programs with comparable resources? So Billy Napier, just like Peterson out in the Mountain West back in the day, what has he done compared to teams with comparable resources? Well, what he's done is he's gone, what is he, uh, 38-12. and 12. That's his head coaching record. He's won four division titles. He's won a conference title. He's playing for another one this Saturday. That's the question. What has he done relative to teams with comparable resources? He's done very well. Florida made a really good hire here. Now, what we have to find out, as I said, what is this staff going to look like? And then here, I'll grant you, is the great unknown. How are they going to recruit? This was the reason, ultimately, that Dan Mullen was out of a job. How's he going to recruit? But I will tell you this, a lot of you have watched Napier. I mean, those Sunbelt games are on TV a lot. So a lot of you are familiar with him and their brand of football. There is a core, there is a nucleus to what they do that when you ask a Florida fan two years from now, what is Florida football? 
they'll be able to tell you. Boom. Just like right off the tip of their tongue. And you couldn't always do that with Mullen because it always felt like what Dan Mullen was doing at Florida, it, it had bells, it had whistles, it had icing on it, you know, it, but it didn't, didn't have that nucleus. Even last year when they won the East, it just felt, it felt top heavy. It never felt like it did legs. Billy Napier's program works out legs. That's what I'm telling you. So it's not top heavy. It doesn't just have popcorn muscles to it. It's got a very, very sturdy core to it. And you'll know it. You know it for them at Louisiana, and you will know it at Florida. I'm excited about this hire. I know a lot of the oxygen is being sucked out of the room, rightfully so, because of Lincoln Riley to Oklahoma. Don't worry about it. And most of the Gator fans I've talked to today aren't. Uh, but I'm telling the few of you who are maybe mad you're not getting the attention you think you deserve, you don't get any credit for winning press conferences. You don't get any credit. You get credit for winning, and you hired a winner to win for you. That's a good thing. That's never a bad thing. Several more games to react to. I'm looking at some of these results in front of me. Um, I, I, I got to tell you a story. Okay, so let's just dive into this. Alabama won the Iron Bowl yesterday, 24 to 22. I have probably one of the more surreal experiences that I will ever remember for a big game when it comes to this game. So I have since gone back and watched the entire game. But my experience yesterday as this game's going on is I'm driving through a driving snowstorm. Even by northern standards, Michigan got hit pretty hard yesterday. So I, from rural Georgia, am trying to trek back from Ann Arbor to the Detroit airport. And it is white knuckle, it is 10 and 2 time, and it's 25 miles an hour on I-94, which was painfully undertreated, by the way. That's a DOT problem. But a JDP problem was, I am getting updates from the Iron Bowl. I gave you the initial of my middle name there, by the way. I'm getting updates from the Iron Bowl. And here's what happened. I had to, um, I had to really, really choose where I was going to divide my attention. When I saw Bama go down, and they turn the ball over, and it's under two minutes to go, and the timeout situation is not looking good, and quite frankly, they're not looking like they can score if they get another shot anyway. I assumed the game was over. And so I choose to focus all my attention on the last 15 or 20 miles of my trip to the airport. And then I get to the rental car terminal. And my phone blows up. My phone had blown up. I just saw the messages. Alabama's won the game. They won the game in overtime, quadruple overtime. However, we're phrasing overtime now, which is a complete disaster. And I, I think to myself, okay, I know these people aren't lying to me, and I know the scoreboard says what it says, but I'm trying to guess before I go and look for myself, how would they have possibly pulled this off? And sure enough, it took Tank Bigsby going out of bounds. It took a 90-plus yard drive. I took Ja'Cory Brooks. Hey, we've been calling for those freshman receivers for a while. It took Ja'Cory Brooks making a big play. But what a shocker. I mean, given the circumstances, what a shocker. And consider this now. Consider Alabama was 8 of 22 on third down. Consider they had 11 penalties for 129 yards, and they still ended up winning this thing. And I had a lot of you text me and say, boy, I guess you were wrong on your pick. You, you really thought Bama was going to cover in this game. Yeah, the model, and I disagreed last week, the model won. I fought the model, and the model won. However, when I went back and watched it, because I thought we had just whiffed. That's what I thought. I went back and watched it. I didn't really feel all that bad about what my thinking was behind the pick. The point being, if you tell me Robinson's going out, and you tell me Jamison Williams going out in the first half, no, I'm not picking Alabama to any, come anywhere close to covering and in years past, that hasn't been the case. This Bama team last year, you take Jalen Waddle off of it, they keep right on going. You can't even tell they lost a first-round talent. You can't do that to this year's team. You cannot take Jamison Williams off that field, or this offense grinds to a halt. That is their playmaking star wide receiver. He was gone. Targeting. He's gone. And so having said that, Bama pulls out the win. Now, what's most interesting to me is watching Nick Saban's reaction and juxtaposing it to the public and, and just the Alabama fan in general, their reaction. The Bama fans aggravated that the game's that close, and I get it, there's a standard there, but Nick Saban is just like thrilled. And in the post-game press conference, he was lauding that team. He said, they fought like I've never seen that team fight all year. I think what's happened there is there are a lot of folks who are viewing Bama through the prism of just what Bama normally is. And if you're viewing them through that prism, these results aren't good enough. I know that. Saban, I don't think, is viewing them through that prism. I think Nick Saban's viewing that team 
through the prism of I know exactly what they are and what they aren't this year. What they aren't is an elite team. What they are not is my usual Alabama team. But what they were yesterday was a team that found a way, I mean, against pretty insurmountable odds, as it turned out, to win the Iron Bowl. That's no small deal. You know, you look at some of these programs when they have a down year. Penn State's having a down year this year. They're 7-5. and five. Bama is about to go to the SEC championship game 11-1. and one. I think we can all agree this is a down year for them. So, yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world to be going into your rival's backyard, which has been a house of horrors for them, and winning. Now, Bama's going to Atlanta this Saturday. I have no idea how you would put together a confident argument for them being superior to Georgia at this point, because they're not. I am struggling to put together our preview for Tuesday's show, because what I try to do for the underdog is I try and build the case of what would have to happen for the upset. Now, point spread-wise, this would not be a monumental upset. It's six and a half is the number right now, six or six and a half, depending on where you look. But if you've watched Georgia all year, and you've watched Bama all year, you understand this is a, a horrific matchup for Alabama. They cannot run the ball right now, Alabama, with any consistency. Brian Robinson, I would not expect him to be available Saturday. Uh, he has a lower extremity injury, translation hamstring. I wouldn't expect him to be able to go. And they're already very, very thin at that position to begin with. Look, crazier things have happened. It is tough. It's tough to paint a picture. But we will be there because crazier things have happened. So Alabama wins 24-22. What about Bedlam? Oklahoma State over Oklahoma, 37-33. to 33. How different? Here's what I want to ask you. Think about this. How different would today look if Oklahoma won this game? If OU wins, then that means they're going to the Big 12 championship game, which means Lincoln Riley has another game to coach. Are we hearing the announcement today about USC? I just wonder. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. Or maybe they would have just delayed it a week. I don't know. That's what we can't know. What we do know here is Oklahoma State lost the turnover battle. They were outgained by 87 yards. They went 3 of 11 on third down, and they won. Here's why I'm pointing that out. Remember this team earlier in the year? Look at that cowboy hat. Remember this team earlier in the year when they were just, just barely scooting by Tulsa and some directional school from Missouri? You remember when they were just barely getting by and you looked at them every week and you didn't really care? Yeah, Missouri State. You didn't really care that they were winning because you thought to yourself, this team is so inferior, they are such a poser as an undefeated Power Five that they'll be exposed. I mean, you thought, like I did, that Oklahoma State probably had a few losses on their schedule just somewhere down the road. I mean, if it's not at Iowa State, it'll be West Virginia, it'll be TCU, it'll be Texas Tech. Well, they did lose one game, and that was it. That was the end of the losing. Now, here's why I mentioned those stats from yesterday. It's very important for what is uninevitable impending college football playoff argument. If Oklahoma State wins this Saturday and they are 12-1 Big 12 champions, the fact that they could go 3-11 of 11 on third down against OU and lose the turnover battle and get outgained by 87 yards and still win, it means they've developed the ability to lose their fastball, need the changeup, need the curve, and still win. Those teams that are inferior, they cannot win unless they have their fastball. That is a sign that Oklahoma State has improved. And I think they've improved significantly this year. This is a developmental sport. That's what you're supposed to do. The best teams are supposed to get better. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Oklahoma State is one of the best teams. And one of the reasons I think that is because they've gotten a lot better. They, being Oklahoma State, they open as a six and a half point favorite against Baylor. That number's already come down to five and a half. More on that game a little bit later. LSU beat Texas A&M yesterday, 27 to 24. I've got a padlock stat. This is going to be short and sweet. It is 54. Those were every single yard that Texas A&M got on the ground rushing. That's good for 1.9 yards per carry. This was the facet of the game that I was uncertain about, and they could not control the line of scrimmage to the degree they needed to. And as a result, they get beat by LSU. These teams were combined 8 of 31 on third down. So it was not exactly an offensive clinic, but LSU did enough to win here. Here are two things that stood out to me, because we're, we're looking kind of towards the future, and that's the lens with which you choose to look at these games through. A&M ended up being a different team on the road this year, and that's been a problem at times for Jimbo Fisher there. In fact, it's been a problem his whole time there, and it cropped up again this year. But the second thing is 
LSU, when they pulled the trigger on Ed Orgeron, there were a lot of folks who thought this team's going completely in the tank. That's not what happened. They ended up playing their best football because it was, it was like pulling a plug and all this pressure was built up and it just exhales. The program collectively exhaled and then they just went and they played, had fun, I guess you could say. And they won some games. They almost beat Bama. They played their best football. And I wonder if that's not something you may see in the future. Now, this was a pretty unique circumstance. I'll grant you that. But it also allowed Ed Orgeron to go out of town on a high note. And if he handles himself the right way, I think you know as well as I do, right now, you could still have a sour taste in your mouth about Ed Orgeron. Ten years from now, they're not going to remember how it ended. Ed Orgeron, when he comes to town, will be the guy who took us to the highest of highs in 2019. And that's it. That's all. That's how history remembers championship coaches, unless they royally screw it up. And Ed Orgeron screwed it up enough to get fired. I don't think he screwed up his legacy. That is pending nothing off the field transpiring, you know, that may be under investigation right now, which we cannot have any guided information on. So Ed Orgeron goes out on a high note. Uh, this was a bad ending to a season for Texas A&M. Texas A&M, you can't make sense of the SEC this year. A&M ends up losing four games. One of them is not Alabama. Make sense of that, because I can't. Uh, the last game I wanted to touch on very briefly, and by the way, I appreciate you guys who are tuned in. i got a message for you in a second. Michigan State beat Penn State 30-27 to yesterday. I don't want you to overlook this game. It was probably off your radar because there wasn't a trip to a conference championship on the line, wasn't playoff ramification on the line. But don't overlook this. Remember Mel Tucker got that big contract extension and then they got skull drugged by Ohio State. And a lot of people said, oh man, they paid him too early. They inked that contract too early. Well, okay, if you want to think that, you can think that. I just want to tell you what they did yesterday is not easy. For that matter, what Oregon did yesterday against Oregon State is not easy. When you get pasted, and in the process, you lose your postseason aspirations, as they were presently defined, the playoff in other words, and you get right back off the deck the following week, that shows you got some resiliency, you got some pride about yourself, but you also have a culture that you are bathed in as being in that program that's about more than external stuff. And that's Mel Tucker. He preaches it all the time, but a lot of guys preach it. Are you about it? Well, you get beat 56 to 7, and you get back up off the deck, and you win at home. 30 27 yesterday, that's a big deal. Don't forget that. It may not matter to you this year. You may not care about the difference between 10 and 2 or 9 and 3. It, it's just a good year for Michigan State. Really good year, actually. But down the road, they're going to be in more consequential games, postseason games, and you may be thinking to yourself, boy, I can't choose either way on this matchup. What's an intangible? Where is an unforeseen, unquantifiable edge? That kind of stuff matters. I can't give you a proper numerical value on it. I'm just telling you it matters. It mattered yesterday. Uh, so Penn State, on the other side of this coin, they started 5-0. Boy, that's a long time ago. They started 5-0. They finished 7-5. How about this? It's a little Nebraska theme. Penn State's losses. Three points, two points, nine points, four points, three points. Penn State lost five games by a combined 21 points. At least that's what Stats and Info tells me. How do we judge where Penn State is headed? I got mixed feelings on it. I mean, the margins and the recommittal to James Franklin, it tells me they're not far off. Got a really good quarterback coming in, a really good class coming in. Maybe that's the spark. I mean, this isn't a program I don't feel that has lost his way or its way. I just, there is a spark. There, there's that, that oomph that's needed. And it wasn't quarterback yesterday. I mean, Clifford played well yesterday. They could not run the ball. There's a level of execution and physicality on the line of scrimmage offensively. They've got to get back. Okay, so that's, that's stuff that you work on for the upcoming year. But don't overlook that deal with Michigan State. To me, that's a very big deal. I want to remind you of something. Those of you who are watching live right now, I really appreciate it. I'm about to give you guys two early best bets. I need you to do me one favor. That's it. I need you to subscribe to the channel while you're here. And that's all. Normally when we ask, when we have these big audiences like we have right now, we've got a little, little over 5,000 people watching live. It boosts us. And then the next day, the traffic goes up because YouTube says, uh, where did this insurgence of subscriptions come from last night? They must be doing something right. 
So make those people think we're doing something right. It's free. No one spams you. N nothing bad happens. It's only a good thing that happens. So subscribe to the channel. Uh, our audience, 79% of you are unsubscribed. So you come in the back door for free and you watch the videos. Help us out. You know, leave a mint on the counter or something for us. Hit that subscribe button. Thank you. That's it. Not going to ask for anything else right now. I'll stay tuned. I'm going to ask you for something else down the road. The LSU coaching search, to some, has gone back to square one. Now, I don't think that's reality, but let's talk about where the LSU coaching search is. Some people are learning lessons the hard way in our industry. Now, I've had a philosophy on this, and fortunately, I have not had to learn it the hard way, but I've watched some other people learn it the hard way. This is the time of year you got to really be careful, and you got to be not too proud to just sit back and say, I don't know. Like, I didn't know if Lincoln Riley was going to LSU. I heard the rumors, but what I do know, and I'll emphasize this again, is there are very few people who I implicitly trust in coaching searches. And none of them had said Lincoln Riley to LSU. In fact, they had said the opposite. Now, here's why you got to be careful. This time of year, in coaching searches and recruiting, those are the only times of year where your best sources have incentive to lie to you and mislead you. You may ask, well, why would you do that? Well, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley, if you're Scott Woodward, or maybe you're an agent, there are all kinds of different reasons. You want to manipulate the market through information. And when you find folks with microphones, that's how you do that. It was happening with me. I'm not outing anyone because I, I like these folks. But the bottom line is there are some folks with ulterior motives who reach out to you this time of year and they feed you BS, hoping you'll run with it. I got fed the same thing a lot of these other folks were getting fed, probably from the same people. The difference is we didn't run with it. And so because we didn't run with it, it may make you look like you're in the dark. Yeah, we are in the dark. We have that in common with these folks who were reporting Lincoln Riley to LSU, is what I'm saying. Everyone's in the dark. And you want to know why? Because this coaching search is being handled effectively, contrary to popular belief today. Because there's a notion out there because a lot of folks did run with this Lincoln Riley to LSU stuff that LSU must have whiffed on Lincoln Riley. I can tell you, I don't believe that's true. I do not believe now that all this is out in the open. I don't believe that Lincoln Riley and LSU were anywhere close to ever happening. I don't believe that. Maybe he'll write a tell all book one day and we'll hear otherwise. But here's the important note for mutual reasons. Obviously, Lincoln Riley is not at LSU right now, but here's what that means. What that means, because it was mutual, and I want to stress that, that no one, no one blew off the other one. If that is the case, and I believe it to be the case, LSU is not in scramble mode. And let me kind of restate that, okay? I want to tee this up. LSU did not go after Lincoln Riley nearly as hard as you were led to believe. Lincoln Riley was not nearly as interested in LSU as you were led to believe. But because a lot of people believed it, and Lincoln Riley is now going to be the head coach at USC, there's this widely held perception that is false, but it's perception nonetheless, that LSU must be in scramble mode today. LSU is not in scramble mode today. Or if they are, they have no reason to be because of Lincoln Riley. And if that's the case, then that means there's no reason to be panicking. Because I can guarantee you, the folks inside Scott Woodward's office, an office of one really, are probably looking around saying, What's all that? what is that noise outside our window? Is that a torch? Does that guy have a pitchfork in his hand? There's no reason to go torch and pitchfork here, guys. They're not in scramble mode because Riley was never their number one. That wasn't how this was happening. Now that leaves a very interesting blank to fill. And you may ask yourself, you know, who is going to be the head coach there? And, and, and this is what has a lot of people aggravated, and on the surface I get it. You may ask yourself, okay, if Lincoln Riley wasn't going to LSU or LSU wasn't pursuing Lincoln Riley hard, then why did no one shoot these rumors down? Well, I'll tell you why. It's not all that hard to figure out. It was cover. Lincoln Riley had no incentive to shoot the rumors down because he knew he was going to USC. The longer that y'all over here talking about LSU, they can work their magic over here with USC. USC loved it. Lincoln Riley loved it. Scott Woodward, if he has things operating the way he wants, he doesn't mind if you're talking about Lincoln Riley either. He knows it's not reality. The guy he's actually going after knows it's not reality. And for all you know, you'll be making your own splash grand slam hire over the next 48 hours or maybe the next week to 10 days that makes you think, boy, had I not focused so much on Lincoln Riley and been chasing ghosts over here, maybe I would have spent more time focusing on that guy's name. 
who is the that guy? And is it already a guy who is in place and there are verbal agreements behind the scenes? We don't know. That's not a bad thing. Sometimes you come to these videos and you want this list and you want some super secret insider information. No, the best thing to hear in these videos is no one knows. Because I can assure you, I kick the tires a confident amount. I kick the tires before I talk about this stuff. They don't know. They don't know. People inside the program don't know. The boosters don't know. And if they do claim they know, they're lying to you. This, this coaching search is not being bungled. It's not being run ineffectively. If it were being run ineffectively, everyone would know. No, 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 no. The, the rumor mill is being run ineffectively. I think the coaching search at LSU is fine. What you probably know by process of reason and, and basic logic and deduction skills is he's either after an NFL guy or the guy he's after still has a consequential game or two ahead. Now, you can ask yourself, who fits that description? Does Mario Cristobal fit that description? Sure does. Does Matt Rule fit that description? Sure does. These are not guesses. These are random names I'm throwing out there. But when there is a lack of tangible information, when there is a lack of credible information in the marketplace, there's a vacuum. And sometimes one person says something, i.e. Lincoln Riley to LSU, and because there's an absence of real counter-information, everyone just runs with that. And because everyone's running with it, you hear it from 14 different places and you assume those 14 different people have 14 different sources on this and there's too much smoke for it not to be true. Just because a lot of people are saying something doesn't mean there's smoke. That's not smoke at all. It's an echo chamber. That's what the Lincoln Riley to LSU stuff was. It was an echo chamber. And so, if an echo chamber exists because there's a lack of credible information, then guess what reality is? Reality is something could be coming totally out of left field. You could get a name you never would have imagined because if there is a lack of information, it's because things have been ratcheted up really, really tight and there is no leak. And when there's no leak, it means anything could be happening behind that closed door. I love it that way. I mean, it's fun to me. And it should be fun to an LSU fan uh, only because that's how you get the best outcome. I know it may not be fun because you want an update every five minutes. That's how you get the best outcome. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this thing goes because the longer it goes, the more likely it is that the guy you're ultimately going to hire is still playing consequential football, whether it be conference title, playoff, they're still in consequential situations so they can't be peeled away yet. That's never a bad thing. I mean, can you look around the landscape and realize how many home runs there would be that are still in that situation. I don't think we're talking about Saban or Smart, but outside of that, there's some big time names out there and LSU's got big time resources to offer. Okay, so obviously we're gonna talk about that a lot this week. I wanted to update the playoff picture for just a second because the rankings are gonna be released Tuesday night. Uh, there are gonna be a couple of very, very notable bullet points there. First things first, let's talk about what we learned yesterday for sure, for sure. We know that Ohio State is out of this thing. Jesse is showing you the top 10 from last week. We know Ohio State, number two, they're going to fall. They're going to be out of this. They're not going to the Big Ten title game. No shot for the Buckeyes. We know that Oklahoma is out. I don't know how much of a shot the Sooners had, but they lost again. No Big 12 title. They're going to be out. Outside of that, there's still a lot that's undecided. But what I've told you ad nauseum since August is I have told you that I thought if Cincy won all their games, they're going to be in. Why did I think that? Because I thought dominoes were going to fall. The Redwoods were going to be chopped down this year. And lo and behold, even as late as leading into conference championship weekend, we got Ohio State falling. Bama almost fell again. One of them between Bama and Georgia is going to lose this Saturday. Point being, there were going to be plenty of dominoes to fall, and they have. The third takeaway is because of that, Cincinnati is in prime position. Cincinnati now pretty much controls their own fate. If they win Saturday against Houston, guess what's going to happen? They're going to go to the playoff as the first ever G5 team to do so. And it is going to fulfill the prophecy that was uttered on this show to the chagrin of many. Some people just outright hated on it in the preseason, not to be confused with the offseason. So Cincinnati was number four last week. Uh, they're moving up. Michigan's going to be the number two team in the country. More on Michigan in a second, but just how, how weird. I think, let me say that, I think Michigan's going to be the number two team in the country. The top four, it's going to be some order of Georgia and Michigan and Bama and Cincinnati. 
And I'm telling you, just as I said last night on Twitter, the casuals out there, the casuals amongst us lied to you. They always do. The casuals lie to you. Please don't let it happen. The casuals fool you once, shame on you. But fool you twice, strike three, according to Michael Scott. The casuals told you that the only way you could ever get that precious parity, the only way that that glass ceiling could be broken and the G5 could make it in the playoff or some new blood could make it in the playoff, the only way you could ever hold Bama or Clemson out of this thing or Ohio State was how? To expand the playoff. And their message was, I guess we can't hold them out, but what we can do is we can pull more seats to the table. You know, we can't throw a strike, so let's have the umpire widen the strike zone. No, you just improve your accuracy. That's what you do. And so a lot of programs out there have improved their accuracy. A lot of programs, like Cincinnati, have continued to get better. Oklahoma State, they've continued to get better. And all of a sudden, we had something strange happen. Clemson didn't just stay at 45,000 feet forever. Bama doesn't stay at 45,000 feet forever. Georgia is undefeated right now and the overwhelming number one team in the country. Georgia hasn't won a national title in four decades. So before anyone starts to tell me Georgia's more the same old, same old, no, they're not. What are you talking about? No, they're not. There's plenty of new blood out there. And guess what the parameters of this year's playoff are? Four. Still the same as it's been since its inception. They lied to you. And it's always been a lie. The structure of the playoff has never been what has sucked the parity out of this sport. What has sucked the parity out of the sport is a combination of very bad hires, lack of proper investment, and some programs being all in. Bama's one of them. Clemson's been one of them. Ohio State's been one of them. But you know what? Nothing lasts forever. And nothing stays the same forever. There is no constant. Everything's always adjusting. Folks in the Big 12 have been adjusting to Oklahoma. Folks in the ACC have been adjusting to Clemson. Folks in the SEC are always adjusting to Alabama. Ditto in the Big 10 with Ohio State. And now all of a sudden, I'm looking at Michigan. Do you realize if Bama were to upset Georgia next week, there is a shot Michigan could be the number one seed. It would probably be Bama. Michigan could be the number one seed. So there's all kinds of different things that we can argue about here. But the biggest argument that I clearly think is on the horizon is how are we going to handle Notre Dame? Notre Dame's season is done. They're done. So no conference championship, they're done. Now, I've always believed, uh, and I've argued with a lot of you about this, it takes me a while to give you my stance on Notre Dame. It takes a while. Most of you are either, they're always overrated, they need to join a conference. Well, I'm not like that. Because I don't think Notre Dame's been overrated. I think they've been absolutely properly rated over the last several years. A lot of you scream, well, how can you say that? They've been getting blown out. They've been getting beaten by teams ranked higher than them. They haven't been getting beaten by teams rated lower than them. That's the very definition of being properly rated, not overrated. You think anyone else would have fared better against Clemson or Alabama? Put them in there. They all suffer the same fate. You see Michigan State a few years ago against Bama? They all suffer the same fate. Just because Oklahoma's losing against the best two or three teams in the country and they're ranked fourth, doesn't make them overrated. But also, the playoffs that Notre Dame has made, I have agreed they should have been in. I have baked into that opinion the idea that they aren't in a conference. But I've also said so far this year, as the dominoes have kind of been setting up, this could be the year that not being in a conference was going to cost Notre Dame. Well, let's see how this plays out now. Because with the chaos around it, it could be that not being in a conference, once again, doesn't hurt Notre Dame. I'm not going to say it helps them, but maybe it doesn't hurt them. But the argument that is coming is how do we measure a, a, you know, a potentially 12-1 Oklahoma State as a Big 12 champ against Notre Dame? I'm putting Oklahoma State in. I mean, to me, the bigger argument would be you know, your, your close but no cigar two-loss Alabama against Notre Dame. Because there are two teams without a conference championship. And at that point, you got to tell me, is it just one loss versus two losses? Because you know what the counter-argument is. The counter-argument is, well, if that's going to be the case, then why don't we just freeze everyone's record the week before conference championship Saturday? You know, because you may say to Notre Dame, well, it's not fair that not playing in a conference championship game is held against them. Well, it's not fair in that case that playing in one is held against Alabama. You know, so if I were to be on the Bama side of things, I'd say, why don't you just for the sake of a comparison against Notre Dame, consider us an 11-1 team too? Because that's where Bama is right now before their conference title game, 11-1. 
That's an age-old argument. I'm just reteeing it up for you. But I think the biggest thing to take away from this as we head into Tuesday is the idea that since he controls their own destiny, they're going to be in this thing if they win. Now, the next big question is what happens if Cincinnati loses in the AAC championship game, which for the record is against Houston, and for the double record, since he is about a 10 to a 10 and a half point favorite, not, not overwhelmingly insurmountable odds for the Cougars. So let's see how that plays out because we still have, we still have potential chaos. Michigan plays Iowa. For all the folks out there expecting a blowout, I would encourage you to put your money behind it. Michigan's a 10 and a half point favorite too. So you got Michigan favored by about 10, Cincinnati favored by about 10. You got Georgia Bama playing each other. You got Oklahoma State five and a half point favorite against Baylor. Uh, there could still be some chaos this Saturday. It's conference championship Saturday, man. Anything can happen. I want to wrap it up with this. I've got two best bets for you coming into this week. Uh, the model is completely sideways on Baylor, Oklahoma State. It thinks the wrong team is favored. We are not getting the best of numbers here. We could have gotten six and a half earlier. I don't really care. We are taking Baylor plus five and a half as one of our best bets. And also, the, listen, I'm going to say this slowly for you. The model thinks the wrong team is favored in Oregon versus Utah. Utah smashed Oregon two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. 14 days. It was within this calendar month. The model thinks Oregon's going to win outright Saturday. Or Friday. I think that game's Friday. It's a neutral site game. It's in Vegas. Uh, we're going to take Oregon plus three. I'll probably put a little bit on the money line for both of these games. So those are the two early best bets. Obviously, it's a condensed slate this week. We won't have as many games. But Baylor plus five and a half. Oregon plus three. Those are our early moves. Uh, let me say hi to the live chat right quick, as has become tradition. Really appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, make sure, as I just copied and pasted there, make sure you're following on Twitter. I mean, I, I cannot even guess what's going to happen in the next hour. There, I'm looking at my phone right now. One. There are two people on the screen of this phone right now that you would widely recognize and it's a constant back and forth about information, about coaching searches, but recruiting. There's a lot of recruiting on here. All kinds of stuff's happening right now behind the scenes. I am trying my best to filter out the BS from the reality, but when we know stuff, not gonna sit on it, I'll put it out there. And there's, of course, a lot of reaction to be had too. And I love going back and forth with you guys on this stuff. So make sure you're following Twitter and Instagram at LateKickJosh. I've got a long drive ahead of me tonight. So I'm gonna get on the road. Um, Thank you so much again. A lot of you met a lot of you for the first time yesterday. Met a lot of people on the staff at Michigan for the first time yesterday. Thank you so much for making the show what it has become. Uh, there, there are some ideas we have that are going to blow the show up even more that are down the road. But just as of the here and now, thank you so much for that. It's been a blast. We've been on the road 13 weeks in a row. It's going to be 14 this week with the SEC championship game. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. Subscribe if you haven't already to the channel. And if you want a little added bonus for us, I guess, go find the podcast and give us a five-star review. On this Tuesday's Late Kick Extra podcast, I will have the full behind-the-scenes story with several things I haven't revealed on the show about our trip to Ann Arbor this past week. It was one for the ages. It was a fun one, really fun one, very notable, uh, very historic in nature. So thank you so much. I got to get out of here for Director Colin, Producer Jesse. I'm Josh Pate. This has been The Late Kick. See you back here same time Tuesday night. Until then, have a great week and God bless. returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.